Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. David, I don't even have a question for you other than where are you? <laughs> well, I'm far away right now. I'm in, I'm in Ontario uh, working on a project with our other cousin, Dan Latham. Right. Yes, this is a very special first time for us as this is our first remote recording. Yes. So... so your history is being experienced right now. If this ever reaches the light of sound day, then um, you will notice a marked difference in audio. And I think we're going to get, we're working on that too. This is a bit of a, a practice. So it's kind of why it's a bonus episode as well. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, and, uh, and I think the, uh, the bonus episode that we're doing is very topical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's like a bonus in the additional sense and a bonus in the, oh, yes. I, I got an extra thing sense. Exactly. Both in exactly. quantity and, well, I'm not going to promise quality, but. No, well, yeah, we'll, we'll try, we'll try. At least the quality of our thoughts hopefully will be up I guess far. for what it's worth, we never promise that. No, <laughs> true. Thoughtful <laughs> mediocrity. That's kind of our motto. A little bit of diligence. <laughs> so, David, what is the topic of today's bonus episode? Well, today we're going to be doing the special edition of the South Park on the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so I know that we've already done two full episodes on South Park. So right. we've definitely tackled this show before. But I think when I saw the special, which aired on September 30th, so almost a month ago at time of recording, I was just like, holy shit. They ticked every box that they possibly could have. And so this would be a perfect fodder for a bonus episode. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of really true fiction in the most literal sense, because while obviously everything they're they're doing in the show is fictitious, hmm. uh, the critiques that they're making on modern culture are phenomenal. Right, 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 right. Um, and the, I think, and I think this, you could speak to this as, uh, as well, but I think one of the things that we're noticing most is the psychological impact that this is having on people that's not being well documented. No. And I think they did a great job of kind of highlighting the impact that this is having on different sort of people. Like you look at Cartman, yeah. right? And he is experiencing a very different kind of pandemic than, say, Kyle is or Stan is. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I really appreciated how the the most kind of important psychological story was that of Stan, and it was the most undercurrent of all of the themes in in the bonus episode, which really yeah. made it seem it's, it's almost it's almost as if Stan really didn't know that he was going through what he thought he was going mm -hmm. through. Well, or he and found out that he was going through. Yeah, we'll talk about that a bit more, but that I think that really speaks to your point of how the psychological 
difficulties, to say the least, of the pandemic are undercurrent. They're really hard to talk about because we don't know exactly what they are all the time. Yeah, I think a lot of it is is actually that we just don't have a way of understanding what we're going through because it isn't some kind of trauma ne- like that we're personally experiencing necessarily. Of course, some people are experiencing severe trauma of losing their businesses, losing loved ones. But what we're noticing, at least for I think the vast majority of the population, is that there's no real precedent for being locked in your home, <laughs> at least in our lifetimes, or not even necessarily locked in your home, but everyone kind of on edge, like low level anxiety, constantly not knowing what the future holds, not knowing when things will go back to normal. And I think that uh, that there's that's just not well documented. And I really appreciated what they did in, in this uh, special episode of South Park to kind of highlight some of those. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, one of the great kind of like observations that this show really just does so well all the time is that the the kind of glacial slow moving mental health issues that this pandemic is creating aren't sexy to put on the news right no it's it's like we're especially given how partisan and politicized and media saturated everything is it seems like everything's about mask wearing or china or trump or all of the things that make the news i guess or like how to social distance properly but the kind of really existential aspect of this pandemic is both too complicated and too deep to be in the kind of like lowest common denominator public consciousness and yet i think it's the thing that actually most people share in common about this pandemic I completely agree. And I think, I mean, that's what I'm excited to talk about in this episode is a, the impact that this is having on your life, my life, but also how we think going forward, what, what are some tools maybe at our disposal to deal with this? And maybe some of the, uh, that is highlighted in South Park. Yeah, definitely. So just like a couple things to note before we start, David and I really appreciate any, uh, feedback, support ideas, that uh, any of you listeners out there have for us. Uh, Obviously, this is an episode we're recording without a decent mic on David's end. Hopefully, like that will be rectified for the next few episodes. So if you notice a discrepancy in audio quality, uh, we are aware of it and we're working on it, but we're we're still practicing this kind of remote recording, which is going to have to become a norm in the future. So other than uh, a discrepancy in audio quality, anything you notice technical wise from this episode we'd really appreciate any input on as we are uh what would you say expanding our uh, audio horizons <laughs> and um our technical knowledge is of, of the podcasting world right? yes yes when you're I, I i'm good at correlating and connecting the dots between mythical motifs but uh learning how to use a computer <laughs> is still an everyday challenge for me anyway <laughs> Software, software. I know how to use computers. Yeah, just software. The software you, can, you can do the hardware. Side. Yeah. So yeah, um, if you get any value out of really true fiction, uh, we would really appreciate a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, I don't think you can do it on Spotify, but uh, any one where you can, that really helps the algorithms move us up the chart. 
and you can give us an email at reallytruefiction at gmail.com and we are on Facebook so you can find us there. We've gotten a few more likes recently and some nice, I got a message the other day from a listener in Florida, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah. we're, we're global at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy seeing, because on Libsyn you can see all the places you're downloaded from and it's just, it is awesome to see how global it is. It's really, really cool actually. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's an experience I never really even considered. But when you just look at that map and you're like, wow, <laughs> yeah, exactly, There's people all around the entire world listening to us right now. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty cool. So just a couple preliminary things I wanted to point out about South Park before we jump in. I mean, obviously, anything South Park centric, we're gonna assume you either already know or maybe have listened to other episodes on South Park. I would recommend if you don't know anything about South Park, you listen to those episodes before. This one, because I think we're going to just kind of assume some knowledge. But one of the things that I, it only occurred to me after watching it is that um, just given the way that the seasons of South Park work, they had the entire pandemic to write this special, right? Because they don't, their seasons are generally in September when they start. And they're like September, October kind of time. And so given that the lockdown didn't start until March, they had like March to September to basically think about this hour long special that they wanted to write. And it's like, you give those guys can make an episode in six days. You give them six months. You're like, I, I couldn't have expected anything better than this. You know, with, no, with no. How good they they kind of hit all of the main one. of the, I've been thinking about this a lot in terms of art, even poetry. And one of the great things about art is how it's self-referential. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, something that Trey Parker and his colleague have really captured. Like we've just seen a massive amount of detail packed into that hour and all of it woven together in, in, in really masterful storytelling. Yeah. And so these are the, the things I noticed of the satire of the world that they included. Uh, if you think of anything I don't hear, but I wrote them down. So they talk about the or you know the satire of South Park. They talk about masks. They talk about non-essential tasks and how this is splitting people generally along yep, political lines, yep. but among just kind of like social ones as well. Uh, the need to bring something positive into the world right now uh, stands sincere mental breakdown. Disney and China, the cops, cynical virtue signaling, going back to school, Donald Trump, and protesting and looting. Did I miss anything going on in the world right now in any of that? Well, I think you I think you got most of it. Plus also uh, something to do with about animal rights. But, oh, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, <laughs> was it the pangolin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like uh, <laughs> That's right. some of the, the problems facing the natural world. It's now, uh, obviously less of a theme. But. Now, I know that this is like an hour-long special, but, you know, without commercials, 44 minutes. So, like, that's a lot to pack in to a 44 minute work you know like and how uh, yeah it really is do it. It really oh and is. i didn't even oh yeah going back to school i did include that and then i also just before we dive in i had to include the classic south park things i noticed so butters wanting to build a bear like that's such a great yeah. butters motif he's <laughs> <laughs> like i want to build a bear that's all he wanted to do for his birthday <laughs> butters dad being a jerk Randy being selfish and cynical, Cartman wanting social distancing and how it's all about him. Everything is, again, all yeah, about him. Yeah, always, always. Kyle yeah. hating Cartman so much. 
Stan uh, feeling the true feelings of the world, <laughs> them shooting Token in the classroom, yep. yeah, and yeah. fucking a bat and a pangolin. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, all of that is just so true to the South Park mold, hey? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's really... South Park just slaps you in the face with the craftsness of life, right? Yeah, uh, there's just... Yeah, like, it's so aesthetically pleasing to see this pandemic special be two things at once, a complete observation of the world and a complete observation of South Park. Yeah. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like they use every, almost every trope developed of their own show to illuminate the world. Yeah. Yeah. They, they know their show and they love their show. It's like, it's what it just goes to show when you truly love doing something and you're not just doing it for the money, which I don't, I really don't believe that they are. Like they right. keep up the quality of what they're doing because they actually love doing it. Mm. Like this is an example of artists loving their art for their art's sake. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, just a very, very quick plot rundown of the hour-long. Randy starts a pandemic special of the marijuana he's selling to everyone. Uh, and of course, that's a tongue-in-cheek reference to South Park making a pandemic special for all of us to watch. So it's very self-referential <laughs> yeah. off the hop. So Randy makes this drug, uh, makes this pandemic special of his marijuana that he's been selling. But in the meantime, he finds out that the, the coronavirus that everyone is suffering from has come from either a bat or a pangolin. And he has a memory of being back in China, which happened last season, which is so it's perfect, of him... Uh, having sex with both a bat and a pangolin with Mickey Mouse and <laughs> yes. uh, being afraid that he's the one that brought it back to the United States. Um, all Which the it while... turns out it seems to be he is. Yes. All the while, yeah. the um, children are having to go back to school, but the teachers are striking because it's unsafe, so the new teachers are all the cops who are out of work because nobody wants the cops around anymore. <laughs> and, and essentially, the cops are running the school like a uh, prison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And all of this is intolerable. And in the meantime, Butters wants to go to Build-A-Bear and Stan starts really heavily advocating that Butters do Build-A-Bear because really Stan is feeling himself like he wants his life back. And so that's a great storyline as well. And then all of it kind of culminates with Randy telling, (laughs) I don't know, what does he say? He says that something, I can't even remember what Randy says at the end about the pangolin, but like, don't kill the pangolin. He actually like delivers the pangolin Right to the scientists so that they can try to find a cure. Yeah, and that's when Stan gives his big, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how I'm feeling. And then, of course, at the end, it's Donald Trump who shows up. But it's actually, like, so Mr. Garrison is the Donald Trump figure who just destroys everything and, like, <laughs> what is it? He has, like, a, a flamethrower and kills the scientist yes, and the pangolin. Yes. <laughs> and so, no, this, because, of course, and this is, interesting this coronavirus has nothing has been better for the promises that mr garrison as president has made because of that <laughs> this is a very south park because of how intense the virus attacks mexicans <laughs> yeah yeah so it's 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 Uh-oh. very gross in that way but very south park so i don't know of all of that i uh i guess like my first note is the kind of disney and china section so what are your thoughts on the disney china section of this episode well i i think in our last episode i kind of went on a on a short rant about china and i and and pedophiles so i'll i'll keep in that theme and just 
say Although that those I were find... at two different points. They were at two different <laughs> points, yes. Um, but I, I think what worries me the most in the world actually is how much of a blind eye the world is turning to China. And I, I think I can't think of another mainstream thing like South Park that is just full on going at it and saying, look, this is this is unacceptable. It's interesting because it's, in this case, we aren't seeing any kind of critique of China, really. We're seeing a critique of Disney. And, of course, the big controversy with Disney and their Mulan uh, and their filming of the live action Mulan and how that seems to have, you know, had something to do with what was going on uh, in the re-education camps, as they're calling them. I didn't quite, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, because I didn't quite understand the satire here. Obviously, bestiality is funny to a certain group of people, and the fact that Randy gets himself in these situations is comical. I definitely laughed at the fact that he's just like the, the, the terror he experienced that maybe being the one caused it and how he was so worried that his wife would be angry with him. But I'd like to hear what you think the critique is of China, because I didn't really, I didn't get a feeling mm, that there was right. one. Necessarily. Well, just the humor point in passing, it's it's just so funny to, to even think about the fact that Randy doesn't really remember having sex with a bat or a pangolin until it's in the context of coronavirus being <laughs> right like, it's yes, just about yes. it's just like randy is such a party animal that this is just kind of par for the course <laughs> right yeah, yeah like it's not, just like it's oh not, yeah the weird part isn't that he fucked a pangolin to him it's that fucking the pangolin might have brought coronavirus back yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's so, not sitting there in disgrace and sadness at yeah, his own depravity yeah. like that's the element yeah. of the joke that makes it work so well i think you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why, like, critiquing China is, I guess, a waste of time in one sense, because China doesn't, pres like, uh, by China, I mean, like, the government of China or the leadership of China or the people who have power in China, they don't really present themselves as uh, hypocrites, right? No. They don't, they, don't, they don't say, oh, we're here for the benevolent goodness of the people who we. Uh, govern right it, there's no pretense right. of actually caring about things like human rights or human dignity or a kind of like liberal way of living that would be more encoded in like a bill of rights kind of thing right so right pointing out that the chinese government let's say or the chinese authorities might weld their people in houses to prevent spread of coronavirus or to point out that they might <laughs> throw Uyghurs into concentration camps. Well, the the first reaction China, the Chinese authorities and propaganda seem to have is, uh, what are you talking about? Right? Like it's kind yeah, of like a, yeah. a, a, a ignorance of like, why would you even say that? That's not happening. So it's like, yeah, in one sense, it's a gaslighting. But let's say, let's say you even caught the Chinese authorities dead to rights doing the most horrible things. Right. Let's say that happened. Yeah. I think I think the most honest answer it gives, like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> here's billions of dollars. Are you still interested in our billions of dollars? Right. right? And then so, and essentially Disney's like, yes, yes, we are interested. Yeah, in actually, billions. yeah. Disney and the NBA are like, yeah, we actually are still quite interested in your billions of dollars. China. 
Yeah, even though we have caught you dead to rights doing this. Yeah, yeah so I fair. mean, like, I think, at least for satire, and it wasn't very much in this episode, so I'll just stick it to Disney. Like, Disney is ripe for satire here because, you know, they promote this very kind of, you might say, Mickey Mouse image of themselves, <laughs> right? This very kind of, like, wholesome clean family, wholesome, yep, yeah. Right? So the dirty underbelly of their business dealings with a regime that that seems to be totally unmotivated by anything like human rights or or a quality of life of their people like disney is the one to satirize because they're actually being hypocrites where the government of china isn't if that makes sense i like yeah and I, what I, I now that you say that I, what i really like about it is it just shows the complete degeneracy of people like this is how people who only care about money live their lives. They need these completely degenerate activities to make them feel anything because they know they have no morals. Like they can, how can they look at themselves in the mirror? Yeah. I mean, the whole China Disney Randy section is actually still mostly about Randy, but there is that one scene where Mickey Mouse is like the phone's ringing off the hook because of how difficult operations of Disney have become because China yeah. has been the source of the coronavirus and the the trouble they're having with Mulan, which is its own thing, right? Like I have some friends here in Calgary who are, you know, more Hong Kong type of Chinese right and uh yep. they're yep. not happy with mulan and and um the crackdown on freedoms there i mean like we're <laughs> which do you focus on hong kong or the concentration camps like it's hard to know which one to care more about i guess you care about both but it's like the whole all the energy that south park portrays disney and through mickey mouse going into is like handling the falling apart business operations Right. Yeah. And and I guess yeah. part of the harshness of this is that Disney is a corporation big enough, one of the few that would be big enough to stand up to the atrocious abuses of human rights and and liberty in China. They're they're like one of maybe 20 companies that oh. doesn't need China, right? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I would say a lot of companies don't need it. They're just addicted to the cheap goods, right? Because like uh, it's actually, well, I'm, we'll talk about this in another episode, but I think uh, it's uh, laid out quite nicely in Foundation. Uh, right, right. There, there's a sneak peek where we'll be doing Foundation in the future, folks. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that when you get addicted to cheap goods and, and high profits and kind of build your economy around, in the case of Disney, a huge consumer base, uh, like a gigantic new middle class, where, I mean, even the Star Wars films get viewed more in China than any other country, any other single country, I believe, right? Uh, that's your new market. And if you're dependent on it, you know, all you care about is profits, you're you're not going to do anything about it. Yeah, true. So we're we're kind of caught. Well, not we. I mean, it's just it's interesting to see this unraveling a little bit and, and peeks behind the curtain of what makes some people or the cheap labor let's say or the cheap the ability to make money from a market like china makes disney and the nba have a vested interest in not pointing out very colossal human rights abuses in those countries and yeah. to the, to the point where they 
chastise the GM of the Houston Rockets who tweets about it, but don't have anything to say about, you know, just the crackdown on freedoms and, and stuff like that. And so it's like, it's such an obvious double standard for Disney to be operating in out of the United States, which has a bill of rights and, and like, I hate to say it this way, but kind of like an assumed sense of freedom that you're allowed to have enterprise and go do what you want and make the kind of art that you want, but yet live in a country that we know what happened in World War II, right? Like we know about the gulags in the Soviet Union and we kind of have this, the ethos is never again, but it feels like with Disney and maybe the NBA, it's never again unless we're making billions of dollars out of it. Well, and I think like we got this movement against Trump, and I guess in this in this particular special episode, we we see them bring Trump into it too. Like, mm. and we have this group called anti anti fascist. Yeah, literally a group of people burning things down, running around the streets, you know, claiming that to be against it, trying to stop the quote unquote Nazis, mm-hmm. where we have a government actually acting like the Nazis putting people in concentration camps and uh, the criticism we've decided to, to levy is against a admittedly crass and probably bumbling man. Mm. Right. But he's certainly not, he doesn't have concentration camps. He doesn't have that kind of power. And right. yes, the outrage against Trump and the relative silence towards China, I think is a good reminder for people that we need to be critical of our leaders, but we should also contextualize our lives, right? We, it's very important to understand that our myopic little worlds are not the big picture. Well, and I mean, maybe the big picture of the world is a little bit more intense than we might think. Yeah. And I mean, we talked about that lots, actually, about how the, the psychological underpinnings that make you care way more about your town or your country or what's happening around you, uh, and and it's just harder to pay attention to things farther away. And then, of course, things like news sources and media really hide. Like, basically, everything that operates in the public sphere that has a financial motive is going to hijack cognitive and psychological biases for its own purposes, right? Yeah. So yeah. the fact that it's easier to care, like if you live in the States, for example, the fact that it's easier to care about your president than the president of another country, like even just that simply, the fact that it's easier to care about your own president is going to be hijacked by people who might have an interest in that kind of thing. Yeah. Right? So like a lot of these psychological weaknesses are just that. And the antidote is at the level of consciousness of your own psychology, I guess. Right? Like that's... Yeah, I would agree. Or like just the propaganda around the term anti-fascist, Right. Like if you call well, yourself having... anti-fascist, you can behave in whatever fascistic way you want to, right? It's, it's yeah, like... and I think having the humility to maybe not be so convicted on the of your cause, and I'm not saying we shouldn't seek justice in the world and be always acting to try to improve. I mean, I think that is what it means to be human. I've been thinking about this a lot. That is what it is to be alive. That is what life is. If you take the idea of sunlight and and rotting, you know, organic material, life turns that into a tree, right? Life is an order bringing entity to chaos. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so obviously this drive that we have to improve our world, and we even we see this in this episode a lot, there's pe- people are upset and they want to fix things, right? But you, you like one of my favorite scenes is that scene where the principal is talking to all the, the all of the parents on Skype and he's just loving muting people. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like muted. But <laughs> Also, it's like all of these people are concerned and they all have these worries and and everyone is so full of fear, but they're not offering constructive ideas. They're all criticizing. Exactly. Right. And I think we've entered into this realm of somehow, and I I don't know how we've got here. I'd be interested in your thoughts, but we've, we've come to this place where we feel like being critical is doing something. Mm Mm-hmm. And maybe being a, maybe it isn't. Maybe maybe the really what we should be doing is trying to build out solutions to the problems we're facing, as opposed to just telling someone they're doing it wrong and asking them to make it better. I think uh, I think that's the great malaise of the Western world right now. Is more and more we're asking government to solve our problems, but also say, well, we're not going to give you any more resources to solve those problems. Now, I I obviously lean on the side of not giving government resources because I think they're bad at solving problems. Mm. And I think that the individual is much better at solving problems, especially when given the the tools of of personal agency and a belief in, you know, in the in the benefits of hard slash smart work. But we we see that a lot of our fellow citizens, particularly in Canada, but I think everywhere, are more more concerned are more interested in telling the government they're doing something wrong, getting angry with them, but not giving them the tools to solve right. the problem. Right, right, right. Well, I think that segues really nice, and then to talking about how just the kind of like, okay, well, I'll frame it this way. So either in the '40s or the '50s, maybe even the '30s. I don't know. Around that time, Albert Camus wrote the novel *The Plague*, which is about um, a plague that happens, I think, in the city Oran, which I think is in Algeria. But anyway. Uh, he's more famous, I think for his like philosophical stuff, but he also wrote a couple novels and one of them is called the plague. And, um, the kind of enduring line that I would want to use to set the stage for this is that when the plague hits the most important thing for the interaction, the social interactions is a return to common decency. And I think South Park is portraying quite well that there isn't a there's just no sense of common decency in a lot of what is going on with coronavirus in the social aspect like you see so many of the parents getting angry at each other getting snippety about all the non-essential things their neighbors are doing right I think there's even stories of like some some more local governments around the western world like encouraging people to tell on their neighbors if there is any kind of untoward so non-social distancing going on let's say and then of course there's the um there's the additional critique on all of that uh, against randy from sharon about how why are you trying to do a pandemic special everyone's hurting why are you doing this and randy and his like randy's no hero but one of the things i liked is that he said something along the lines of well people need joy right now people need happiness which is kind of like south park mm, supporting itself basically by putting out this well, pandemic well it's interesting special. someone someone does walk up to randy at one point and just thank him so much for his pandemic special exactly. right and what a great thing it is that he's doing and it's 
you look at uh, at him at the time and he feels terrible, right? Like he, yeah, because he's because like he's you know he's feeling he's so sad about the um, China stuff, I think, and he might be the one who well, yeah. who brought he might be the one who did it. But yeah, like I think that that's an interesting thing too because it's like it is a weird kind of Rorschach test time of how people are going to engage with the world based on like I think this is a this is an easy time for cynicism to 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 come in and be like, why are you doing something positive, right? Like, this is a hard time. But that's not quite as interesting, I think, as maybe the whole degradation of a lot of social norms of decency and kindness. Yeah, which we're seeing everywhere is, is, yeah, it's like, I thought personally at the beginning of this, and I think we sort of talk about it in one of our COVID episodes, but I thought that this would bring people together. I honestly thought that a lot of the petty problems that divided us would become less uh, important in light of the obvious massive societal issues we're going to be facing. And I, and I will say, I don't think we're anywhere close to even the beginning of how bad things are going to get economically. But I think when we look at it, it's actually just exacerbated the entire malaise of division that i mean we're, we're we're literally seeing sides being drawn on this issue too and and it's really made me rethink how i'm how i see like mob psychology and and even just sociology in general because it seems to me that this has only made the problems of tribalism worse yeah like now we have another thing to draw it it turns out that it wasn't the issues it wasn't the policies that were the problem it's that we're just taking sides on everything now. Mm. Masks, no masks, um, you know, shutdown, no shutdown, economy, you know, personal like values. I mean, somehow the teachers have ended up on the side of, of you know, and it makes sense, safety all the time, right? And business people have ended up on the, you're destroying our lives. I think what the teachers understand is that if there's no economy, there's no teaching jobs. Right. Like right. They're, they're, the government's not going to be able to pay for them. But they, but they, you know, want to keep the kids safe, quote unquote. I think that's ridiculous personally, because children are not dying from this. But, you know, whatever. Uh, the thing that bothers me is that we're not talking to one another anymore. Mm. There's not a conversation happening. We have 100 percent descended into this. Into this us versus them, and it's everywhere on everything and it's both sides are just yelling at one another yeah well i mean it's it feels like forever ago even though it's only like seven months when the lockdown first started back in march but i did feel a certain sense of people buying into the idea of flattening the curve like that seems to be a meme that was bipartisan like okay yeah we get the idea that we we no matter where you are on a political spectrum, you generally don't think poorly of nurses and doctors and we and paramedics, and we definitely didn't want any of them to be in additional stress or harm. Plus, we were getting stories out of Italy of like it being so overwhelming to the medical system there that physicians were having to choose which people essentially they helped and which ones would have to just die in the streets or die like in their homes, right? And like that's a that's a nightmare that nobody wants. So I think at the beginning, there was a little bit of a kind of like a, a small spike in camaraderie in, in our culture. And it's different in Canada, I think, too. I think Canada is just a little bit less like everything that bothers America is present in Canada, but it's like 20 percent less. 
it feels like, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt, considering it comes from a country that doesn't have quite a... But yeah, yeah I think you're right. There is a this, like... And it's weird. We talked about this for other reasons. This pandemic is so disastrous socially because it's not as bad epidemiologically yeah. or virally as it yeah. could be. Like, if we're looking at smallpox or cholera or polio or, like, other... Uh, viruses that have a higher mortality rate that are more viscerally damaging to the world, I think you have a lot less squabbling than we have yeah, now. Yeah, like if people, like you, you've said before, if people are dying in the street, we're going to be like, well, okay, we need to, you know, mm-hmm. we just need to do this. But it's almost like, <laughs> it's certainly a plague for the age in the sense that it's going to affect like 40% of people. <laughs> which is like, yeah. which is well affect in the sense that either like you have it or someone you know has it or someone you know dies from it. Like it's, you're, there's going to be a significant number of people in our culture that until there's a vaccine, this will affect, and then also another significant that it won't. So you're really going to get such diverging opinions on what should be done because of how it affects people so differently. Well, and you're going to get people who get it and nothing happens to them and they and they don't think it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And I think that because, I mean, again, it's just so, so tragic, actually. I mean, I, not that I would wish that this would be medically worse, although, like, it's interesting. I've listened to a number of podcasts recently that have talked about how much worse this could have been virally. There just are so many other things that could affect uh, mortality and even just like day-to-day operational health way more than coronaviruses and so all of that is is just this kind of backdrop to just be another thing to disagree with people about uh, like it, because it's not as bad as it could be it doesn't quite rise to the level of like universal agreement of what to do <laughs> right like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't attenuate yeah. human life enough in a way that like the black plague would have, I mean, if you could understand the black bubonic plague with modern terms, right? The, uh, the buy-in at a one third to one half mortality rate is going to be just astronomical because it's going to affect almost everybody in almost the same way. Yeah. And so you have a more agreed upon premise of what to do. So anyway, like, so what this does then I submit is that it, it puts on hyperactivity, the kind of innate, hatred of your neighbor that exists in people anyway. So we talked about this in The Crucible, right? And we talked about it in a few other episodes where it's like, if you just dislike somebody or dislike somebody else politically even, it's harder to go after them over like how they park their car or the kind of like jokes yeah. they make yeah. or just the things about the, um, the, 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 the personality quirks that rub you the right way. But if they're not wearing a mask... Or if they're not social distancing, or they're, they're being people, or right? or yeah. or they're advocating like that's the one one causal causal arrow in the political realm. But on the other side, like if your neighbor is someone who is advocating for more lockdown, you can just assume that that means that they want your job to go away, right? Like yeah. you can assume yeah. it. So it's like oh, you want to close the economy because you're just resentful over your job. That kind of... so anyway, all of that is. Like I, this is a a dark side of social psychology, but coronavirus is a perfect scapegoat to use to throw against people you just don't like already. Yeah, 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. Which is so negative and, and not talked about well, I don't think. No. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I talk about this all the time. Uh, the story of us by Tim Urban, wait, but why blog really highlights this well. And I, I think for anyone who wants to understand this topic in a fulsome way, he's, he'll be publishing a full book on it soon. Uh, and I highly recommend buying it, but I guess it isn't well documented because people want to believe that their convictions are their own, right? Mm-hmm. They they feel so personal. They, they, they love, and, and you know what? There's a catharsis to feeling emotions mm-hmm. right? and, to, and to having someone to blame and to having a team and to, you know, be fighting on your team against another team. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense. But I, and I, and I think that that is a large part of what's happening here, but I'd like to go deeper into kind of the treatment of one another that we see in South Park mm. uh, and, and just talking about how essentially with people acting this way, we're left with two options for the police, right? Either we can further militarize them and make them stronger to, to and just kind of like push back on this unrest that is now boiling over, right? Or we can quote unquote defund them and where, where will they go? Right. (laughs) I guess they'll become the teachers. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Or yeah, that's the question, right? Like what, what happens to this group of semi militarized people? If we're suddenly like, you don't have a job anymore. It's as if the people who are advocating for this believe that institutions are the only thing that exists. Mm -hmm. Right. And that institutions aren't made up of people and wondering about like, these are people who are trained in this. This is their livelihoods. They're going to get hired by someone then, or some, something is going to happen, right? They're, they're going to have to find something to do. And I, I find that interesting because I just don't, I don't know what their end game is. Well, <laughs> that might be they a different episode. True. <laughs> no, no. So it's, I mean, it's, it's obviously a very uh, interesting critique right is that the basically the the police wherever they go maintain their same structure and then eventually they heavily militarize right <laughs> yeah i mean i guess i um i interpreted a lot of the cop stuff in the south park special around that at least the satire seemed to suggest that there is a kind of there's a desire among a lot of the police to be kind of uh, militarized, I guess. Like, there's that scene when they're going to build a bear and <laughs> they need their weapons back, basically, right? So they got yeah. like tanks yeah. and and massive things. And and I think it being South Park, it's not quite as ham-fisted as as that. Is that I I feel like a lot of the critique going on here is that there actually is a lot of work to be done to reforming the police because the mayor has to call up the chief, right? Because I think, well, there's the line, someone says, are we rioting or are we looting? <laughs> I mean, right. Anyway, yeah. you see enough yeah. like videos from Portland or other cities in America right now where it's like, okay, we could use some police right now <laughs> Yeah. in this context yeah. and probably in their hearts, even mayors who sympathize with the movements on the streets are like, at some level being like, oh my gosh, the looting of the stores is just not what we want, right? And so mm-hmm. the mayor mm-hmm. of South Park is in a real hard place because like, it's clear that 
I don't know, like just viscerally, it doesn't seem to me like cops need tanks. I just don't see why cops need tanks. I don't see why they need like, <laughs> you see some of the things they have in the United States and just the ordinance. You're like, I don't know if that's the answer needed. And to any of the cops who say it is, it's like, ugh, what is the culture going on here? T- to that extent. Now, again, I would just highlight that I think it shows the difficulty of reform, but the necessity of it. But being more exact in what you need to reform, as opposed to, like, I don't know, I would I would submit somewhere to start talking about is what kind of ordinance do municipal cops actually need, right? Yeah. So being very yeah. specific about that kind of thing, that South Park, in its comedic genius, does such a good job of overemphasizing for effect, right? Yeah. If, yeah. if, if there yeah. wasn't tank adjacent vehicles cops were using in the states the joke wouldn't land no um, yeah it would be like well okay in, well, in south what's park the point but, here? but when you see the like resemblance of truth in their satire and i thought that was a really interesting portrayal because i mean maybe i'm choosing to see it this way because i love south park so much but it's sophisticated because it's like well duh we need the cops but some things probably need to change about the cops too and let's not lose sight of that well, I'd like just because this came to mind, but it's interesting that, you know, after uh, Randy comes and, and, you know, and gives the uh, creature back to the scientists, right? We're left with this moment where Donald Trump sweeps in and kills evidence and truth at the same moment. Because, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, theoretically, scientists are supposed to be the embodiment of like the search for truth, right? And the evidence of where the virus came from. And they both are just killed in that moment. And it's and I think that's maybe a partially a statement about Donald Trump. I think it's a bigger statement about how these symbols of propaganda are destroying the scientific method and creating these re- religious fervor among adherents to the propaganda. Yeah, I mean, it could be both. <laughs> yeah. I, both. Uh, I'm not an expert, but there are reputable people out there who are talking about how Trump knew about the danger of this back in like December and January. This is a very complicated issue. I know that the news says that Trump really fucked up in all of the COVID response. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But again, taking news with a grain of salt, I kind of have to plead a little bit of ignorance on this fact, but it just, it does sound like to the extent that these reports are true or, or have veracity, it does feel a little bit like Trump's playing some pretty heavy politics with coronavirus which is in one sense it's understandable because you feel like the other side is too right i definitely Mm -hmm. feel like Mm -hmm. the democrats are as well but at, at another level and this is maybe a more broad critique of america right now but you would just hope the president of the united states could rise above that temptation you would you would hope but uh, obviously not really. It doesn't seem to be it, the case. It, it, but it does feel like there would have been presidents in the past who would have. And even and like and Republican ones, too, I would say. Yeah. You know, like yeah. just maybe not Nixon. <laughs> but no, like no. Um, even someone like and I'm not a historian on president, someone like Reagan, I feel, would just have been a little bit more mm, quick to the punch in terms of 
safety of the of the people, including Democratic voters or, or voters of the Democrat yeah. Party, right? Yeah. And so, like, I yeah. think it's the additional responsibility of actually having control and power of the government that makes Trump's COVID malfeasances worse than his political rivals, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, yeah. But again, it's funny because both Trey Parker and Matt Stone have talked about in the past that they actually are more Republican-leaning than Democratic-leaning when it comes to American politics. I mean, I feel like they're quite centrist in, in a lot of, and I mean, they're like equal opportunity offenders. Mm-hmm. But it, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to to know that about their things that they've said about themselves, and yet and then they have a pretty it seems like a pretty hard go at Trump in in this yeah. pandemic social. Well, uh, there are there are a lot of people who who would say they're Republicans who have a hard go at Trump. Like I think mm-hmm. he's definitely polarizing. Yeah, even on um, own side of the aisle. Of, of even yeah, exactly. The thing is, they knew to to stop making fun of Trump like in 2016 right? 2016, 2017, yeah. they just stopped having Mr. Garrison a la Trump be a major character in the episodes anymore. Cause they are like, this is boring. Everyone knows yeah. there's no gap between the parody of Trump and the video of Trump. So we're not going to do it. <laughs> so I feel like the inclusion True. of him, Matt and Trey must feel very strongly about Trump's involvement or um, responsibility in this COVID to include him in such a blatant way in this special considering they haven't really talked about him for three years yeah yeah you're probably right you're probably right so that could be an off-putting section of this episode i guess depending on your opinions donald trump but it seems clear that they like everything in this they intended all of their aspects so yeah yeah let's talk about the uh the mental health stuff yeah the the stuff with stan yeah yeah the real payoff of this episode i would say yeah, I'd say the this heart is of the, the core, the heart of it. Yes, I just, I just think it's. Uh, I don't think that most people are paying attention to how much their lives have radically changed, and how those changes are are really da- are damaging for mental health. Right, like a lot of people are not getting to see their friend, family. They don't have a social life, even if they're going to work. There aren't as many people as at work. If the, if there are people at work, everyone is kind of cautious of each other. I think of my sister-in-law and my sister who, you know, their kid gets a cold and they leave the house for 14 days, right? And suddenly, even if they get a positive test, they kind of like, they don't want to give a cold to any other children because then those people are going to... And suddenly things that were just completely normal. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I remember being a snotty nosed kid running around, whether I had a cold or cold or not, like I'd have to be pretty sick to stay home. And now we're terrified of the common cold, <laughs> not because we think the common cold is going to kill us, but because of the social implications of just being sick at all. Right. And yeah, everything is more valenced, like basic sinus function and respiratory function is so valenced now socially. Yeah, yeah, we're we're paying attention to things we never paid attention to before, mm-hmm. and I think that even if we're not conscious of that fact, the subconscious psychological implications are are starting to weigh on us. Like, uh, I I have a friend who whose daughter got 
COVID or not didn't get COVID, but got a cold and she had to stay in the, in her house with, with her daughter for seven days, just the two of them. Mm. Right. And it's like, that's not normal. Like no. you're normally your child is going to school. Normally, you know, even if your kid is sick, you can leave the house. Right. <laughs> like, and it, yeah. And it's for, so, it's so contingent, contingent on your situation, right? Like for me being a single guy with, like a handful of social attachments, but not too many and not too many responsibilities. It's probably been easier than a lot of people who are maybe cooped up in the house with someone they don't like or uh, in an yeah, abu- yeah. or worse in an abusive situation or have just high risk people in their life that they can't go visit that actually would be really helpful to visit in a situation like this. Yeah. And yet yeah. even I am feeling quite kindred with Stan in terms of like, Oh, just the kind of like liveliness that comes from a more default human interactive social scenario, you know? Well, and I don't want to, I don't want to make your situation seem worse than it is, but like the truth of the matter is uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, when I I stayed with my sister and brother-in-law for three weeks, but then I came home, I guess there was about a month and a half, maybe two that I didn't really leave the house. And besides going on walks and things, and I remember just, it's traumatizing, right? It, it legitimately felt painful. I remember the first time that myself and your sister, Joelle, went and visited my parents during the pandemic, and I didn't want to go home, right? I did not want to return to that life because it's so isolating, even though I hadn't, during it, thought much about how isolated I felt because, you know, I have my phone, I'm, I'm constantly talking to people, but being in another person's presence, experiencing their, you know, their nonverbal cues, these are things that make humans feel alive. Mm-hmm. And when we, when that's taken from you, or, or not maybe completely taken from you, but taken from you to the extent that you've enjoyed it in the past, I think our grief is kind of more enormous than we realize. Right. Well, this is so well mirrored in in the reveal of Stan's mental health in in the pandemic special because so much of that in South Park fashion it's all bombastic over the top it's Cartman being Cartman it's Randy being Randy it's the absurd parents being the absurd parents like everything is true to form but it 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 really well mirrors the things that people find easy to talk about in this pandemic which are my neighbors aren't wearing masks or they're not social distancing or the president is an ass and he sucks or defund the police or like very slogan based yeah. aspects of the yeah. pandemic, right? Like things that fit on a bumper sticker or a meme. And the genius of South Park, and, and I just, I I couldn't even express how resonant of this as an observation it was to me, is that the thing that's affecting Stan is really hard to talk about, but by far the most important part of the episode, which was yeah. the mental health, yes. But again, even that's a little bit of a slogan. Like I would go, de- like he had... something bordering on existential despair that he didn't even have the language for, right? Like, it it expresses itself in him saying, I just want my life back. I just want my life back. And on balance, the existential aspect of our lives is the hardest to talk about because it's the most abstract and the most important at the same time. And if anything, I feel like this pandemic special is a beautiful springboard to open that up to people to talk about. Not just like 
I miss my friends, which, or, or I'm losing my job, which are both very important, but the kind of overwhelming loneliness and, and, Mm -hmm. and detachment that Stan feels from all of his friends and the whole episode, he has to like project it as he's, he's hoping Butters doesn't feel that way, right? Like he doesn't have the confidence to admit it about himself, right? He has to, he has to put it into the aspirations of another person and it being butters is hilarious because butters doesn't know how to deal with any of that he's just a useless <laughs> little dude himself <laughs> but yeah i think there's something so important to the um not just mental health although it includes that not just economy though it includes that but the existential effect that a very slow moving socially over hyperactive pandemic has on good-natured people who just want their lives back well yeah i i think i like what you said there and i want to add to the the existential part is a lot of people spend a lot of their lives keeping themselves busy so that they don't have to think about existential things but when all of that is stripped away when your busyness is stripped away when you're stuck in your home for weeks on end uh not able to see people i mean a lot of the distractions that we used to enjoy lose their luster, right? You you brought this up to me early on, I believe, where the things that you love, like reading and watching good uh, TV and movies and uh, and even playing music, they they when 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 you're not putting those when you're not uh, putting those into moments of time that are precious because you don't have as much time when you just have all of this time they lose some of their enjoyment. And so suddenly the things that seem to be giving life meaning aren't even giving life meaning anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, exactly. and, and you're, and you're left with, what is this all about? Like, I, I would say that I've definitely been going through something like that. And there's other existential things that have happened in my life, but I think that the pandemic has, has highlighted. I've always been someone who thinks about these things, but now it's just become even starker. It's like, what is this all about? Like, I can't distract myself with, with going out with friends the same like I used to be able to. I can't, you know, I can't escape it. And it's hard. It's, it's not fun. I hope, my hope for people going through those things and myself is that we come out the other side stronger and more thoughtful people who are better able to handle, you know, the slings and arrows of an outrageous fortune. Mm-hmm. But in the process, the process is incredibly painful. And I just think as a species globally, we're being confronted by maybe even our own mortality more than we were. Mm. Yeah. Certainly if you're someone who knows of someone who's passed away because of coronavirus, right? But even just sitting there aimlessly forced to think about your life, Mm. right? You're like, well, this is going to end. And like, is this how I want to be living for, (laughs) You know, no, like this, this is not a fun way to spend your life. Yeah. I mean, I have <laughs> can't to even say travel. like reading books and watching movies and actually doing this podcast has been like a godsend in yes. all of this because it is like the kind of thing that I want to spend my time doing. So to, to still be able to during a pandemic has definitely been a massive antidote to a lot of the ways I've been feeling, but like you know, we're heading into the winter months, which in Canada is quite cold and can be quite lonely already if you're not, well, there's no, it's not an accident that winter is the metaphor for 
like yeah. lack of life <laughs> yeah. in Game of Thrones or anywhere else, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I just, I guess maybe it's, um, and it's hard to define exactly, but maybe if anybody can get anything out of this like episode of of South Park, it's like not even just paying paying attention to the existential aspect that is always there that is maybe being brought out a bit more by like all of these variables of our lives being so affected by a pandemic you know yeah i i agree and i'd say because i think a lot of the quote-unquote mental health stuff we're going through is that we're just we're confused right but but we need to just be honest this is a hard thing to go through and what do you do when you go through hard things because I guarantee you, we're going to go through more hard things. Yeah, I mean... Right? And, and and life is going to present... Now, maybe it won't be a global hard thing, but you, but we will, right? As mm-hmm. individuals, there's going to be things that happen in your life that are not happy, right? Well, and yeah. How do you how do you maybe use this as practice for those things? I think that... And I mean, this is not like a a PSA exactly, because I think deep down everybody kind of knows this, but I think part of it is an attempt in your own life to at least live out that Camus idea of living with decency towards everybody else. And I observe it, like I'm in the grocery store and people are giving space, but not being disgusted, you know, at the same time, like it's like being a little bit more patient, letting people go through, you know, um, being just a little bit more aware of how far you're standing from someone in a workspace, right? Like if it's someone's job, not putting them in an uncomfortable position where they have to ask you to back up or yeah, put your mask yeah. on. Just remember, like just that kind of stuff. Saying thank you a bit more to people who are helping you out, especially in workplace settings. You know, I try to do that anyway, but I just think it's these like basic little manners actually that are going to be so much more important to people especially as winter comes and these hard things are happening to all of us you know and i maybe i mean you and i kind of gravitate towards deeper conversations anyway but i think having the courage now to just not be satisfied with the oh trump did this or oh yeah yeah let's talk about something more interesting blm did this like that stuff just seems way less important right now in one sense, in, in, a, in the existential sense, right? Well, and, and I'd like to offer to, to any listeners or, or people that, uh, that enjoy the, our, our podcast is I think both Luke and I would, would even be happy to, over this time, jump on a Skype call with you guys and, and just have a chat about your favorite book. And like I know for me, this podcast, when we get the chance to talk about these things, I always leave the conversation feeling better. Yeah. And I think it's like mental it's, exercise. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's fun. And I get to talk about things that I care about. And I, you know, I think it's a real privilege to be able to just ramble on about the ideas that pop into my head and have, and have some of you guys actually listen to them. Yeah, exactly. So I'd send us an email at right. really true fiction at gmail.com. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So uh, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. I mean, that's basically most of it. I I just would add, like, and this is not a big topic, but just (laughs) I think one of the reasons why this whole epidemic is confusing, to say nothing of incoherent, is the way that the characters in the episode use masks. 
<laughs> right? yeah like yeah they and it's just so funny they're wearing masks but they're always wearing it as a chin diaper or around the, yeah around their chin and i relate yeah. to that because i do yeah. that all the time too but it's like <laughs> there is the deeper point is there's something a little bit ridiculous around the idea of i'm supposed to wear my mask around work all the time with the people i work with but i also see them all the time and i see them outside of work so if people who are in my it's just funny like people who are in your bubble already are yeah wearing masks is safer but it's also like are you gonna wear (laughs) it's it's so inconvenient that just the human default is you forget and you put it around your chin sometimes you know the the, uh i mean the canadian health authority told us that we should all wear masks while having sex and kind of my take on that is if you're having sex with someone that you're not even willing to kiss maybe you should reevaluate your life decisions <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well actually there was that uh one thing out of the bc health where it was like it, they encourage people to use glory holes <laughs> i know it's like okay wow <laughs> which yeah. hopefully made more people look up what that was <laughs> <laughs> so yeah just in closing i mean i realized this is like mostly like addendum number three <laughs> Yeah, coronavirus, yeah, but true. that's okay. I wanted to include some of the things that are South Park centric that just made me laugh so hard. Cartman's love of social distancing, and they made a song about him and like yeah. how he's in paradise, <laughs> right? Uh, and then his line, "Oh, I see. All this horrible stuff's going on, but Cartman's life doesn't matter." <laughs> <laughs> so he's gonna have to go back to school and he's loving being on zoom yeah um, yeah it's yeah. really hard to see i did I'm, i've watched it twice i missed it the first time but on the zoom call with all the students everyone's kind of looking blank but Car- uh, kyle is frowning at cartman when cartman is saying he's starting to freeze <laughs> so <laughs> you can just tell cartman no- or kyle knows cartman is bullshitting yeah like that's yeah. such a great little south park aspect of it the argument that cartman and kyle have in kyle's house just shows yeah that they're in a it's different like paradigm <laughs> yeah like they're just in a different paradigm yeah and and kyle is the only one who knows that yes <laughs> um i'm glad yeah I, i've made a note of mackie the power of mute on zoom i do yeah. run virtual programs for kids and the mute function is very nice <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah it was a, a nice nod to to people who have to run these sort of things they're like oh yeah. this is so much easier uh, i did a lot of zoomies this year and uh yeah there there are definitely benefits mm-hmm. uh, i love that there was um death was riding around on a tricycle <laughs> the whole episode yeah, yeah. that was yeah. kind of funny <laughs> and just i guess everything about randy was perfect Right? Like everything about Randy is so perfectly Randy. And yet even he ends up being a little bit the hero of the episode because he's the one that's channeling Matt and Trey's vision of like, no, we're going to keep making these pandemic specials because people like them. And even the kind of like hoity-toity, higher than thou, oh, why are you trying to have fun? This is a really serious time. Cause or like, profit off of yeah, it. Right? Yeah, or profit off of it. Like, because Sharon is the one who's voicing that opinion throughout the episode, Randy's wife. And we forgot to mention Randy's special is uh, he, he yeah. also has the antidote. Uh. So he jerks off into all the weed that people smoke. <laughs> but then they grow a Randy what? mustache. <laughs> so he sees the Randy mustache on his wife's face, which means she smoked uh. his weed, but she also was yeah. having a hard time. So she's being a hypocrite. So he's just like, you know what? I'm going to make more specials, which is like, yeah, he's kind of weirdly the voice. Randy himself, the character isn't the hero, but he's the voice 
of that heroic idea of like, you know what, this is actually when people need to laugh more than any other time. Right. Right. This is like, because like, this is so meta, but South Park is the kind of thing that gives me an existential boost of the kind that Stan needs. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? True. So it's so self-referential, but in the best, most creative, aesthetically pleasing way possible. So I would highly encourage listeners to watch the pandemic special. If you're in Canada, you can stream it on much.com. I think in the States it's southparkstudios.cc or something like that. It's easy to find. They just stream all their new episodes for free. Yeah, definitely worth the watch. Mm -hmm. So this, this has been our first bonus episode. And again, uh, we understand the audio quality won't be what you're used to. We're working on that and there'll be microphones for more remote recordings, but we just really wanted to test it out a remote recording today. Again, you can give us an email, really truefiction at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook. Uh, We're on all the major platform hosting apps. If you have an app that allows a rating or review, we'd really appreciate one. And um, yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts? No, that's it. I just, I'm really grateful for all our listeners around the world. Uh, Another shout out to our India listeners. Uh, Just great to, you know, be on the subcontinent. I just like the idea that there's people there listening to us. (laughs) Totally, totally. All right. Well, this has been a bonus episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name's David Parker. May the force be with you. Also with you.